It's the Bob McCowan Podcast with, um, shockingly, Bob McCowan and uh, less shocking, John Shannon. Yeah. Uh, in the midst of trade deadline day in the National Hockey League, the day, probably the day of the year, I hate the worst. Yeah, I know uh, you do. Hey, by the way, why? What is the why? Are you, do you have a date today at lunch or something? What's going on? You're no, all dressed I, up. I just, I just You're all decided, dressed up. Uh, no, I just threw a jacket on. Wow, the camel hair too. I, I love my, camel hair jackets. Yeah, I'm going to wear my, a camel hair jacket. I'll wear one tomorrow then. I think. Why monkey see monkey do? No, just it's cotton. I mean, the camel hair looks so good. It does. Well, why don't we jacket. pause? Why don't we pause the tape? You can go upstairs and get your camel hair jacket, and then we can look like. We're from Hockey Night in Canada or something. No, no. That's or a hockey, bit. That's hockey a, night hey, in Beijing. You know what? Hey, you know what? That's a bit much, Bob. Come on. By the way, do you have a Hockey Night in Canada jacket? No. The orange one with the exploding A-hole? No, that was that's the CBC. Hockey Night in Canada was baby blue. Oh, yeah, that's right. You don't have a yeah, CBC? I do not. I have neither. I have one. Yeah, I'll bring it out. Come on, bring it out. I don't know if it fits, but I'll put I'll 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 check. <laughs> well, put it put it over your shoulder. <laughs> well, yeah. I don't know if it like, fits. Well, I was a lot skinnier back in those days. Yeah, no. you know that was uh, that was a long time ago, man. And yeah. I think I wore it once on air, grand total of one time, and then CBC technicians decided to go on strike, and that was the end of my CBC yeah. career. Yeah, my 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 baby blue jacket. Uh, in May of 1986, was hoisted and retired into the uh, uh, the ceiling of a bar in Calgary with a knife in its back and the logo uh, a, a, a flame with zambuca. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Was there a little <laughs> hatred there on your part? A little? Well, uh... I was fired. I got fired. So we all get fired. Yeah, I know, but. I was we depends had, on we the circumstances. A, you got fired, I, I but did you get bought out? Uh, I was I did well actually. Yeah. Well then, <laughs> what are you <laughs> bitching and complaining about? <laughs> uh, and right, we had a gonna, party, and next thing you know, I was on the I was standing on top of the bar. Never, never mind. That's another story for another day. We're going to talk about trade deadline day, okay. but not necessarily. We're not going to do what everybody else does: is run down the list of all the guys that got traded, all the fourth liners for sixth liners. What we got is our pal, our buddy, our chum, Doug McLean, ex-GM, among other things. Yeah. Um, ex-regular participant on primetime sports. And uh, and he gonna, loved trade deadline days as, a, as an announcer when we were all together. He loved them, just like you did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we'll talk about it. Uh, okay. Doug McLean, this time on the podcast, back after these messages. McCowan and uh, Shannon, we are back on uh, trade deadline day in the National okay. Hockey League. The most and can I say? Can I say it now? Can yeah. I say it now? Look what the cat dragged in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he really did too. Uh, the most overrated day in uh, in in the world of anything. And uh, Doug McLean uh, joins us, of course, from uh, Florida. Lovely to see you. Uh, are you playing golf later today, or you haven't played already? Have you? No, I, uh, Sunday, Wednesdays, uh, 7 a.m. tea time. That's when I play. Today was a strength training class this morning. Uh, tomorrow's yoga. Uh, strength I'm busy. Going. So is it trade? So is it trade deadline? Yeah, it is. Apparently. Apparently. I'm excited. We're, we're glad we have your expertise on. You don't even know what, what the hell the so day is. You're telling me that your biological clock didn't tell you to break up and break out in hives that you didn't, you needed to make a trade today. Something. I mean, I, even if it's just like at, I, at the Denny's restaurant, I knew it was trade deadline because Kiprios phoned me and said, you always come through for me. You always come through <laughs> for me and give me a couple of deals. I said, Nick, <laughs> don't count on it this year. I'm, I can't <laughs> believe I'll be coming through for you. <laughs> so I, I will get, We'll get to some specifics of deals that have been done, but um, I want to talk about process a little bit because, um, you know, we all know you were uh, the AGM in Detroit, went to coach in Florida, and then took over as president and GM in Columbus. Chief so you've been involved washer. in. Chief I'm, I'm sorry? He was the chief bottle washer in Columbus. Come on now. He did everything. Yeah. yeah. But you've been, you've been through this process. 
You know, John alluded to this false pressure, but was there real pressure on trade deadline day? Did you feel it? You know, you know what? There was different pressure for different teams. Mine was, mine was a different pressure in Columbus because, and this is hard to believe, but most of the pressure on trade deadline day in Columbus was getting rid of money. Okay. Yeah. Like, let me just give you an example. I've got Daryl Sador, who's playing really well for us. Was a, we had picked, we had made a great trade, trading Mike Sillinger uh, to Dallas for Sador, and we thought it was going to be a great fit, and uh, and he was. But it's an eight million dollar deal over, I think, three more years, and there became a clamor within the organization um, ownership to get rid of that contract. And, and that was a that was a pressure deal. I had a, a Whitney situation to get rid of Whitney's money. I had a Sanderson situation. I remember trading Sanderson to Berkey at 10 to 3 to save us $900,000. So they were sort of, it was a weird type of pressure versus the pressure to build a winner. You know what I mean? It was yeah. trying, to, trying to be competitive, but it was a different type of pressure. And it wasn't because you guys were at the cap. This was no. uh, these were economic decisions. Like we we you know we're we're losing money this or we want to make profit money losses. Yeah, yeah. profit loss. It, period. It, it was yeah, it was profit loss, and it was you know I couldn't blame the owners ownership on that. And I remember I traded Sador to Tampa Bay, and I called Sador to tell him of the trade, and he was devastated. You know, people thought, oh, Columbus, this Columbus. That. I said, no, Daryl, I just traded you to Tampa Bay. They have a hell of a <laughs> hockey team. And and he still he was his family were comfortable he was comfortable, and and he goes to Tampa. I get Svitov for him, who was a third overall pick a few years ago in the draft. Hitchcock loved Svitov. He came in and played really well for us. He was actually helping Jaredev, which was a real plus for me. Tampa win the Stanley Cup with Sidor. Uh, I get fired at the end of the year, and Hausen doesn't read. Uh, re-sign Svitov. They get into a contract dispute and Svitov leaves and goes and plays 15 years in the KHL. So there was different types of pressures, really. And, you know, uh, nothing, nothing like, uh, nothing like what the Leafs or those management situations are like. But I, I'll give you one that was a pretty bizarre one. We, we acquired, this is when I was coaching in Florida, we acquired Ray Shepard with a second round pick. Okay. Uh, with San Jose. Ray comes in and was really, really good for us in that Stanley Cup run, scored big goals. And I remember our scouts were really upset, disappointed that we gave up a second round pick for Ray Shepard. And I never thought much about it. And then I'm realizing all of a sudden, the reason they were upset is because a couple of them on our staff really wanted a chance to draft a big defenseman at a Prince George in the uh, in the Western Hockey League. Chara. So, Chara. So the second pick comes. We don't have it. Then our, the third round comes, and we think, oh, my God, we still may get Chara with our third pick. And I think he went two picks before us. So it's just funny how – I see all these draft picks being moved and I go back to that Shara situation. And I think I remember our guys were devastated that they didn't get Chara, you know? So I see all the draft picks moving around and I think, Oh, it's no big deal. We do this for draft pick that for second round pick. But all of a sudden they do mean something to the scouts. Well, and you can't put a face on those draft picks, right? When you're right. when you're making those moves, they're just and theoretical. You, may, you may not have a job. You may not have a job anyway to do the make the draft pick. Yeah, exactly. So I don't, I don't, you know, I understand where they're coming from, but I do know this: that when you get to the draft and you sit there, and all of a sudden you see that second round pick or that first round pick or that third round pick not there, and I'll give you another example. My scouts guaranteed me I would get this big defenseman out of Kelowna in the, in the third round. Said, Doug, I'm telling you, Sam McMaster. Sam McMaster said, I, we will get this guy. Big, raw bone guy at a Kelowna. You're going to love this guy. I had never seen him play. So we're in the second round, halfway through the second round. The Nashville Predators select Shea Weber with the second round pick. And I, and I look at Sam, I said, what the hell is this? You told me we were getting this guy in the third round. 
and they take him in the sack. You know, so it, it, that's what I mean by draft picks. And I've got like so many of those types of stories that are, it's just bizarre to be quite honest when you really think about it, you know? So how, how, I mean, on a day like today, where does, where does the cap fit into all of this and how much pressure does the cap give a manager? Well, the cap is what it's all about now. And it, it, it's, it's, it's Gary's league of the cap, you know? And I mean, I, I guess we look and say it's done tremendously. Gary deserves a raise for making this such an unbelievable competitive league when you look at the Western division. When you look at the Eastern division, you'd say, well, it's not that competitive. It's not that parity doesn't seem to be there. So that's, but then I talked to a team last week, okay? An ownership group last week. And they said, we can't make it in this model. We can't make it with this model. Our market is having an unbelievable challenge Paying ninety-one to ninety-five million dollars in player costs. Ninety-five, mm-hmm. like when you have an eighty-two million dollar cap, you got ninety-five million in player costs, and you're looking and you're saying, "How are we ever going to make this a viable franchise?" I said, "Well, the franchise is worth five hundred million. They said, "That's what we're told it's worth. We're told it's worth six hundred, but get somebody to pay it." Anyway, people seem to be buying it. So it's the cap is everything now. It, it's it's so expensive, but it's also every transaction is tied to the cap. And the guy doing the cap work, they've got to be they're very sharp young guys, veteran guys that really manage this this cost analysis and how you move and how you beat the cap. And that's yeah. what we're seeing now. We just yeah. saw Little's contract traded from Winnipeg to Arizona. How yeah. many contracts are going to be traded to the Arizona Coyotes? <laughs> Seriously. Well, and and I mean, Pronger's you're seeing... still there. Pronger's <laughs> is still there, isn't it? I think. Uh, well, I was I, I was going to check. Is Pavel Datsuk still a Ca- Arizona Coyote? I don't think I would so. Think, but... <laughs> I would think so. I mean, everybody everybody that's retired has is. Gretzky's, I'm sure, is still on their books. Is it? I don't know. Uh, different part of the books. Yeah, different part so, of the books for Waynes. <laughs> I don't think that Gary and, and Bill Daly envisioned that being a real problem that we'd have these contracts sitting in Arizona so that they can get to the floor and yeah. take all these retired uh, guys that are in. I mean, come on, it's become a joke. So, but anyway. even, even trades today, we're seeing over the last three or four days, uh, uh, so much salary retention. Like yeah. players, oh, players being traded, and the only way they can be traded is if the team yeah. that they're they're being traded from still pay half the. Day. It's more like baseball now than it is anything like else. Yeah, yeah, it, and it I, is. And, and I, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, go ahead. Finish. Finish what you were going to say. I, I just I, I'm blown away by it because when we were in Columbus and even in Florida, it was a it was a tight. It, uh, budgets were tight and and holding money I, I remember and i've told this story many times we bought out andrew castles and i didn't want to buy out andrew castles but it, it was going to cost us four hundred thousand dollars to buy andrew out and i could put in manny maholcha into our lineup and it was going to be equal money so it wasn't but and i'm saying trying to say to the owner it's not really cost us money we're saving money I don't like that I'm paying somebody to sit home. Now they're paying guys millions. I don't know how they explain this to owners. But it all comes back to the cap. 81 million to spend. I don't care what, how you do it. That, that's what it all comes back to now. So take me through um, a little bit the process of this day, which begins, we believe, weeks before this day when you start having conversations, but how many of these deals that you would do can be done literally with one phone call or how many of them will take 10 phone calls and 15 different options before you get them done? Give us a sense of how it works. You know, you're right. It does start, uh, you know, probably a month prior where you're, 
continually talking to your pro scouts and targeted a group of guys. You know, might you might have 10 guys on a list. You know, you're looking for a right shot defenseman or a left shot defenseman or a left winger or a certain style of player. And you you have your list and then you start to work through it. First thing is major, major views of the players that you're talking about. Major views either by in-person scouting, video scouting. Today, the analytics would play into it. Um, you know, they'd look at the numbers. So it starts a, a few weeks out. Then you get down to the last couple of days and you assemble your entire group. In, in particular, your pro people, your pro scouting staff, especially your director of pro scouting. And also your amateur guy has to be there. A director of amateur needs to be there to, to evaluate the, picking pro, the pick process that you're giving away or acquiring or the prospects you're looking at. The amateur guy has a better handle on the amateur guys that you're making trades for, whether it's a college, sure. col a, you know, college player, junior player, whatever. So, so you need that group there. You need your cap guy there. So you've got your war room situation set up, and then you go through the process. And you know, it's it. it what happens in, during the course of the day is you get funny. You get funny calls. Like out of the blue, you might get a call from somebody saying, "You know, we're contemplating moving." A pronger, you know, pronger is a guy that we would consider moving. And then you're sitting there. How do you ever make that fly as an expansion team versus a real established team? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So you, you, you play out so many scenarios, but you get a lot of calls. The guy that I enjoyed more than anybody on trade deadline was Lou Lamorell. <laughs> I'd usually get a couple of calls from him. And it was, what about this deal? No fooling around with Lou. It was, here's the deal. Are you interested in the deal? Let me know. And there was, there was no gamesmanship. It was, and, he, and he always, I always found him to, to try to come with a fair, a fair type of a deal. I would say, no, I don't like it. End of conversation. Mike Smith was another guy. I remember yeah. trading, uh, trading uh, Lyle Odeline for Spotchik and a second round pick which turned out to be a great trade for us. But Mike was, there was no games with Mike. It was boom, you know, uh, this is, this is the deal. And, but there's other guys that you would do dances with for like five days. And it was like <laughs> painful. Doug, Doug Wilson, Doug Wilson in, in, in San Jose drove me crazy. I thought I had a, a Sanderson deal done with him two or three times when Sandy was getting near the end. And it was like, it was like painful. It was almost painful. So, you know, it, it, that's sort of the process. <laughs> well, and you, you worked alongside of three people, uh, you know, I would, uh, they were lifers and Bill Torrey, Brian Murray, David Poyle, and all three guys. I mean, I know, you know, as well as I do today, at some point, Nashville is going to make a trade. Because David just has to make a trade. It's, it's trade deadline day. I have to do something, don't I? But those three oh guys God. would be fascinating to be around. Oh, they, they, they really were. I mean, Brian was, you know, Brian, it, what was fascinating was when I was with Brian Murray and David Poyle together. In Washington. Together. <laughs> and it was like, Brian, like, I remember we were, we were doing, we did a, a Malarchuk Ledyard trade acquiring uh, Clint Malarchuk for for our goaltender, and it was like, oh my god! Because David, any trades as David Poyle makes, I've never seen anybody dot the eyes and cross the t's like he would mull over a deal and mull over a deal, and Brian would be saying. For Christ's sake, make the deal. We need this player. You know, our goalie can't stop a beach ball, David. We need a goaltender. You know, anyway. Uh, and then we'd be sitting there and it'd be Brian and I, Warren Stralo, our goalie coach, and, and David Poyle sitting at his big desk. And all of a sudden we're sitting there and I look over and Warren fell asleep at the thing. And David has the hockey news in his hand and he snaps the hockey news on the desk and 
Warren jumps up, wakes up, and I'm like, oh, my God, we're getting fired for sure here. Now our goalie <laughs> coach is falling asleep in, in the meeting with the GM. <laughs> so it was – we had some great times. But they And Bill Torrey – Bill Torrey was different. Like, he let Brian do it at the end. Bill – Trader Bill, I guess he was called. And, you know, he made sure. all kinds of deals. But but he and he, he really let Brian uh, – you know, he would sit in and, and always talk about it. But – uh, he, he would let Brian uh, make the deals for sure. So Well, let, let's remember, to this day, Doug, everybody talks about trade deadline. Everybody talks about, quote, unquote, the greatest trade led deadline trade of all time, which was Bill Torrey's trade for Butch Goring. And that yeah. we're talking, that's, that's 42 years ago now. And we're still, we still talk about it, and, but, 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 but then Brian is, co- Brian being a coach versus Brian being a manager. There would have been a different angle between the, between his patients yeah. then, wasn't there? Yeah, it, yeah, there was. Brian, Brian was good, but you know what's funny? Now I hear a lot, you know, teams that are in the hunt that how great the team feels about bringing in a player at deadline day. Like, what does Giordano mean for the Leafs to feel okay? We got this character, former Norris, good guy coming into our room. Does that give us a lift? Well, I, I remember. I'll never forget this. Brian made a deal when I was coaching Florida, the second year after our Stanley Cup run, and he brought in Kirk Muller, traded Jason Podolan to the Leafs for Kirk Muller. And it was, the, the, the group was so excited about getting Kirk Muller. You know, Kirk was still a solid guy, not as good a player, but still a solid guy and a good, useful player. And when we made the deal, and, and I remember the feeling of our group was, oh man, and I thought, we're going to, we're going to have another run here because Kirk's going to be a useful type of player. And we got beaten the first round by a really good Ranger team with Gretzky and the whole, I mean, they were really a good team. Coley Campbell was their coach and they mm-hmm. beat us in a, in a hard fought series and Kirk couldn't get it done. He just, he, he, he didn't have time to, to get into the whole trade thing, you know, and he did, he played he was a great guy, he just didn't play great, and it didn't turn out the way I really had hoped so. But the guys got a boost from it, but help us win. But it, but isn't that fired. one of the challenge? Isn't that one of the challenges of trade deadline? Is how quickly a player meshes with the, the dressing room? Well, I, I think it's everything, and you know, you you know how many of these deals are made, and the guys don't do squat for the mm-hmm. team. And there are bad deals at the end of the day. Like so many of them, like, you know, it's, it's different if you get Hampus Lindholm and you lose in the first round with Hampus Lindholm, but you've got him signed on a long-term deal and you know he's 26 and he's going to have a, he's going to be a really good player for long-term. But it's, it's these deals that you give up first and a second and a player and you get a charrot and you, as an unrestricted free agent at the end of the playoffs. So those those are the those are the crushing deals that you know that can turn out to be horrendous deals. Really. I mean, look at Felino deal. Like poor, I mean, in fairness to Dubas, it, it people raved about the acquisition of Felino last year. He paid a first round pick. Kekalinen did a great job on that trade. Felino comes in and he couldn't couldn't do anything. And he's got one goal since the trade. One goal. Mm. And yet the price was a big price, you know, and he walks. With Doug McClain, let me take a break in a second before we, we, we do that. Um, tell me about your coach's involvement in trade deadline day and the whole process of moving a player. Do you consult with your coach on every move you make? And is there a light? What, what's the likelihood, Doug, that a coach could talk you out? of make doing something that you're you want to do or maybe are just inclined to do a good uh, good question i i always heavily involved the coaches um you know they were you know i had dave king i had Gerard gallant i had ken hitchcock in columbus um whether it was lindy ruff who was my assistant in florida Dwayne sutter they were hockey lifers and mm-hmm. i mean i i heavily involved them Heavily involved the coaches because there's no value in making a deal. And then 99% of the, and I made just like lots of small trades. Like I did Kevin Adams for Ray Whitney. Well, that trade 
was so exciting for my coaches because they were they knew they were getting a good player in Ray. They liked Kevin. They liked him as a fourth line guy, and they loved Ray. So I I didn't make a move unless my coaches were. They wouldn't they wouldn't kill it, but but I always wanted them to be excited about a trade. And I think for the most part, I saw the Hamannick trade yesterday, and I'm thinking, what the hell are Ottawa thinking about bringing Hamannick in? He doesn't he. He's, he's had umpteen leave of absences. He doesn't want to really play in the East. He demanded to be traded to the West, and they're bringing in a guy with $3 million. I mean, where does this make any sense to have a deal for the Ottawa Senators? Then I read today that, well, the coach, Jack Capriano, had him on the Islanders and really liked him mm-hmm. and thought he'd be a great fit. Well, okay, so now it makes a little bit of sense to me. Still makes sense, but at least I'm trying to say there's a little bit to it. It just, you know, and when, me, what, about, what about what about what about when you were the coach in Florida, uh, and and the, those guys Murray and Tory were at the other end of the table, and they'd say, "What do you want?" Would they say that, or or would you be in their shopping, you know, giving your shopping list every day? What Brian Brian Murray's favorite line to me after every game, but if we lo- if we lost, he'd come down from the press box. Him and Chuck, Chuck was like a young, uh, Chuck Fletcher. Fletcher was like a, a yeah. young assistant GM hanging around. And he, they'd come down and the first thing uh, Chuck would say is, one night we lost 2-1 to New Jersey and it was just like an unbelievable, vicious, all gut, wild game on the bench. And Chuck came down to the president, geez, there didn't seem to be a lot of intensity tonight. And I thought, well, maybe you should come down and sit on the bench for a period and find out what intensity is all about. And then Brian would say, well, maybe I don't know anything about coaching. Why would you have done that? <laughs> so Brian, Brian would have said that to me probably 40 times during the year. I don't, maybe <laughs> I don't know anything about coaching, but what? But anyway, Brian was terrific. It, you know what? Brian was a coach even when he was a GM. And more so when he went to Ottawa, I think, because I used to bug him about it all the time. But he always had a feel for the team. And if Brian brought up a name, it was it was usually a good name. I just I got one trade to tell you about. I we were in a little bit of trouble in my third year in Florida. And Brian comes in, talking about uh, answering Bob's question of coaching. He said, What do you think? Stumbling here, Niedermeyer's hurt. You need, we need help down the middle. We're not big enough down the middle. I can get Victor Kozlov from San Jose for our first round pick. What do you think? Well, I'm sitting there saying, Victor Kozlov, six foot five centerman. You know, he's 23 years of age. We should, you know, great, Brian. I'm I'm excited. Brian makes the trade. Our, Florida's first round pick for Kozlov. I get Victor Kozlov for four more games and then I get fired. So then Brian comes in and coaches and they win the next game and then they lose 17 in a row and Florida finishes last all in the NHL. Okay. Last. Yeah. We were thinking we'd get Kozlov and we would be a good team and the pick would be a middle mid, mid round pick or a late pick. Florida lose. In the meantime, San Jose trade that pick during the season, our first round pick to Tampa Bay, state rival. We finish last. Florida wins the lottery, and Tampa Bay has the first pick. They select the Michael Jordan of hockey. With that first pick. That? <laughs> Doug McLean is uh, with us. Of course, us I was on. chuckling about it. I was fired, so I was chuckling about it. No, well, at least, and 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 not to tell. I mean, hey, listen, two days after you got fired, you got a job offer for a couple games, right? That's true. Yeah, that's right. You gave me a job. That's me right. And, so. Me and Dick Irwin. Irvin, Dick Irvin. Irvin. You said Irwin, Irvin for thirty years. Dick well, Irvin. Call, no wonder you did, No wonder you only got he, two games. He calls me Don McLean too. <laughs> bye bye, Miss American Pie. Uh, we 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 got to take the break. We'll come back. Doug McLean is uh, with us. Back after these messages. 
And we're back, McCowan. Shannon, Doug McLean is uh, with us from Florida. <laughs> so, so did you like being a manager more or being on the trade deadline desk? Um, you know, you, there's nothing like being a, a manager. Being on the trade deadline desk was... You just had to look good. You didn't have to, you know, wow. you know, that's all. And, and that's, that's where you had trouble on the desk. You know, that's why they kept oh, you over in that other desk. They put oh, you on, with Elliot. They put you with Elliot and hey. Johnston because none of us looked good. No, I looked great when I was with those two guys. <laughs> there, I was, I was, I was, they think I was, a, I get a, I get a kick out of it. Like I saw the other day, they had an executive table. Okay. Uh, with, yeah. uh, What's his name? My buddy there from Edmonton Oilers, the former Craig McTavish. Uh, Craig, McTavish. Craig McTavish and Sam Constantino. And I said, <laughs> what do you mean, Sam? He's a, I love Sam, but he's not a former executive. You know, what the hell is that? Uh, Obviously, they miss us. But anyway, it was fun. <laughs> the, 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 it was always fun doing that stuff. But it was more fun doing Hockey Central because that's when you knew the GMs and coaches were listening to the show because I remember, I'll never forget. I used to get probably a couple of texts a week from GMs, you know, that would say, Hey, that's you're, you're right on that or you're wrong on that, or that's not right. Or, you know? So it was kind of, that's where it was fun. The desk was okay. All right. I want to get to some of the specifics of the big, big deals that have happened. Um, you mentioned Giordano earlier today, going to Toronto from uh, Seattle and the whole process uh, that um, that Francis is going through in Seattle, yeah. but is this the deal that you would have made if you were GM of the Maple Leafs right now? Well, that's a really tough one. They, they, I've been I felt all year that they've been way too thin on the back end. Um, even with Muzzin, I thought they were too thin. Uh, Giordano, to me, uh, is a, uh, obviously a terrific person. Had a great career. But he's he's thirty eight or thirty nine years of age, and I, I don't know what he's going to bring. I, I I don't know what this guy can bring that's going to take you deep into the playoffs, and and how how much he's got in the tank to get you deep. And the Leafs have got to get deep. They've got to get by the first round. Um, I know he and Brody have a history. I I think I think it was a. It was a back to what you guys said. The, the cap has constricted them so badly in every transit transaction they make. And this is, they get caught here that they didn't have the dollars available to make the right deal to help them. And I'm still, I'm thinking this morning, I, I saw the Giordano last night and I'm thinking, okay, fine. And then I'm thinking, who, who's going to play goal for them? I know they got the fin. I mean, now you've got another guy that's never played an NHL playoff game, and you've got, you know, the uh, Jack Campbell who has hardly played playoff games, and they got Morassic who has been horrible. Like I mean, who, and they got the kid Shelberg. I mean, who's going to play goal? And just a lot of holes that you know that they've got to fill here. And that, and we haven't even talked about their second line yet. You know, that's been no. horrible. So there's a lot of. A lot of leaks there, so maybe that'll be when they get lucky and win around. I don't know. Would you rather have had Sherrod or Giordano? I'm not a big Sherrod guy. Look, I know he was really good last year, and he he really bothered Matthews and Marner. I know that, but he was also with Shea Weber, and Shea mm -hmm. Weber was banged up, but he was still – Shea Weber wouldn't let anybody – miss a shift with that Montreal Canadian team last year. What Shea Weber did for that group, including Sherratt. Then I talked to some analytics people and they say, well, Jesus, analytics are horrible, Sherratt. And then I'm thinking, oh, well, one of these genius organizations that love analytics just picked him up and yet his, his numbers are uh, not great. So I'm not a huge Sherratt fan, but even though if they play Toronto, maybe he'll bother those guys and he, maybe you get him. I just don't see him as a really long-term guy. I don't. Well, and well so, and so you, when you speak of uh, uh, who Toronto is going to play, I, I think they're going to end up playing Tampa. And then Tampa goes and retools with two young guys, Hagel out of Chicago and Paul out of Ottawa. Um, do, do, you, do you think that Tampa can do something 
in these playoffs again? Do you think that that's what they're they're gunning for? Obviously, that's what they're well, gunning for. But I, I think you look at it, and Tampa learned a valuable lesson when they lost to Corpus Allo in Columbus a few years ago. And and they, you know, first of all, you're going to say who's going to win between Toronto and Tampa, and you start in goal with Vasilevsky. And then you move to Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev, Bogosian, Ruta, Chernak. I mean, the back ends don't matter. Then you go to the front and you say, okay, even Matthews, Marner, good group there. Tavares, hopefully he gets it going. And now they've got picked up a couple of guys. Hagel's a, a young guy that plays hard. It's a tough matchup for Toronto. I mean, if I think if Toronto end up in the wild card, if Boston go ahead of Toronto, which is still a strong chance, and they play Carolina in the first round, I think they're better off. You do, huh? I think they're better off to play Carolina. I really do. When I look at the matchup, and Carolina's a good team. you got Freddie Anderson pressure on Freddie. If I'm Toronto, I would prefer to play Carolina in the first round. I don't want to. I mean, you're looking at Florida or Tampa. Ugh, I'd rather take Carolina. I watched them last night. I know they played great against the Rangers. They have, they've been stumbling a little bit. They're probably not going to make a big move because Dundon's a little hard on them there as far as the dollars. Um, I don't see them making a big move. So I would prefer if I'm the Leafs to play Carolina in the first round. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my own gut feel. Well, Dougie, I want to address um, – Two guys that we've we've mentioned here, um, you know, Giordano winds up going to the Leafs and Fleury winds up going to Minnesota. And I've been making the point for weeks with my friend Shannon here that you really, do you need a defenseman if you're the Maple Leafs? Yes, but you cannot achieve your objectives if you don't have a goaltender and preferably an experienced one. And that's why I thought you got to go for Fleury. He's the most experienced goaltender in the marketplace. He's really the only one that was out there that has any kind of history pedigree in postseason. Who knows how he plays when, with Minnesota once they get there. But I would have gone for the goaltender. I, I, you're you're going to have to give up something. What would you have done? Well, first of all, you look at Fleury, what he brings to the table. Does he Bring the equivalent of Giordano from a leadership perspective. Most definitely, he does. He, he's Agreed. he's one of the best. He's one of the best teammates that you could ever have, and I know that for sure because of my relationship with Joar Galan. I mean, what this guy brings to your dressing room is unbelievable. The problem was he probably didn't want to go to Toronto. Well, if that's the case, then I say to the rookie GM in Chicago. Give me an opportunity to meet with Flurry and sell him on coming to Toronto. I do everything I can to make that happen. Yeah. That's where I go. That's where I go. Vegas have not been the same since he left there. That's right. Big, unbelievable big mistake. The Vegas, the Vegas Golden Knights look to me like they're following the Toronto Maple Leaf model from when Bobby Bond and Alan Stanley were there. Like, <laughs> seriously, they've given away... <laughs> Four, they've given away four first-round picks. Brought in Leonard. I mean, what in God's name? Anyway, all I'm saying that for is because I know what Flurry is from a character perspective, and we'll watch mm-hmm. him play this year in Chicago. And how do you go into the playoffs against Tampa, Florida, or Carolina with inexperienced in goaltenders? I know Morasic has had experience. Morasic's not. Morasic may not play another game. I mean, well, that's it. When exactly. You, when you think about but it, but he's their, <laughs> but he's their most experienced playoff guy with num- from numbers. Campbell's yeah. got one series under his belt, and he's now he's injured. the The two other kids, the uh, gold medal finish winner, hasn't played a playoff game. He's hardly played a regular season game. And same with the other kid, the Swede. I mean, they haven't Children, played. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and this this is what you're going in to win and to advance in the playoffs. It's a frightening situation for me. So, so in a nutshell, I feel for them. In a nutshell, it sounds like you agree with me that the priority should have been Flurry, oh. and maybe they couldn't. Maybe they tried and couldn't get him, but Giordano sure was essentially did. the backup deal. I'm sure they. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they tried to get sure. him, but 
you got to go in and sell Flurry. You got to tell them, come on, this could be a this could be a career. You know, if, if you win the Stanley Cup with the Toronto Maple Leafs, what this could do for your legacy. I mean, I just think Kyle and them and Shanny, they're salesmen. But maybe they weren't allowed to. I don't know. But I just I, I haven't understood their goaltending for two years now. They walked away from Freddie. They didn't want Freddie. And I'm sorry they haven't replaced him. Yeah. Well, as much as they dislike Freddie, they have not replaced him. Well, and the and the, the reality of the Minnesota situation for Flurry, two things. First of all, they have to go this year because they have that cap hit next year with the Suter and Parise contracts, $14 million that they have to be, they're going to penalize. And Bill Guerin and Marc-Andre Fleury were teammates in 2009 when the Penguins won the Stanley Cup. So, so there's a trust factor between those two guys that exists. Fleury, and Fleury, does, he's not even worried about a contract because if Bill Guerin's there, then he's get, he will get a contract on request. And they've already traded the other goalie, I think, knowing that Fleury's going to come back next year and bill will look after him yeah no I, and that you're right and and i you know i'm not you can't blame the leaves and you can't blame the leaves if the guy wouldn't go there you can't but there's other goalies other goalies that would have like cost a lot less i don't i don't like how they've set up their goal and i hope i'm wrong i hope jack campbell comes back and he stands on his head i i remember doing a i was on a podcast three, four months ago, and people were saying, well, Jack Campbell's going to get $6 million a year or his new contract. I'm thinking, what? What's he done? What's he? Yeah, he's been good in the regular season for six weeks. $6 million contract? Are you guys serious? Anyway, I don't well, think that's going to happen. The other one I want to talk about um, that was significant down the road from you, Florida gets Giroux. You know, Giroux is a, played a thousand games in the National Hockey League. When you played a thousand games in the NHL, there's always a chance that the end is very near, and the image is of the younger player and not of the current player. Was this a good move for Florida? I that one caught me a little off guard. I, I understood the one dad depth on the back end. You know, you know, Mackenzie Weger's been good. Ekblad's been an all-star. You know, they've they've been pretty good on the back end, but they needed they needed depth there. They really did need another defenseman. The Giroux one threw me a little bit. I I I would have thought. I mean, I know he's this great playmaker, and maybe he fits with Barkov. But what if he doesn't fit with Barkov? What if he does? If the if the chemistry just isn't there now. Barkov's a superstar and, and maybe will help, but I thought they would have looked for maybe a touch more of a hard-nosed type of playoff guy. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. what I would have thought they would have looked to add. Bennett's been a great pickup. I mean, he's come in and he's it's been a perfect fit. I mean, maybe an upgrade of a Bennett, but that type of guy that's that's a playoff guy that that grinds and, and brings a little more. I love Giroux, but I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I'm not sure. Does it, is it a little bit like a Muller type deal that we made that, you Maybe. know, a, a former star and is it hard to come in and move down and be the fourth or fifth guy in the group? I, Florida's a pretty good team and, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. He's a playmaker, but, I don't know. He Philly well, has been well, really bad. Really. Well, bad. Let, let me. Well, and, and by the way, Philly's been really bad. And who's been in the lineup? Claude Giroux. Mm -hmm. For so, yeah, when, when you, when, when, you know, I mean, they went to the Stanley Cup final in 2010, 12 years ago. Um, when you're a manager, don't do you look at you look at player individual talent like Giroux? And I'm not questioning his talent, but don't you question whether he's a good teammate? And whether he makes people around him better, don't you do that when you when you sit around the table and ask these questions? I think a big part of it is uh, uh, the the biggest question that's asked is how does this player we're pursuing fit in with our group? How yeah. where is the chemistry? What is happens with the chemistry? What happens to our leadership when a guy comes in who's known as a leader but comes in and we already have our leadership group? And is he going to mesh? Is he going? Are 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 our young superstars Barkov, 
Uberto going to be intimidated by Giroux? And does that hurt our leadership? I, I would be a little bit concerned about that. But it's always the media hype that create these, got to get this guy. We got to get this guy. Florida, look, I hope they have a run. I'm sick of going to bars down here and asking for them to put the put the Panther game on, and they tell me we don't have the NFL package. Sorry, I mean, I said no, no, not the NFL. I mean, the Florida Panthers, not the Carolina. Oh, oh, yeah, we can't get them. Yeah, okay, you have to go to another bar. Okay. By the way, that that is a, a lie of all lies because you've never been sick to go to a bar in your life. So. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Now I'm retired. Is it ever good? Oh my God. Oh. Anyway, I actually, actually Jack Armstrong and I were last year, we went over to the sandbar, which is a two minute walk from my place. And it's right on the ocean here, in Delray beach. And Jack and I are sitting there having a beer and relax. And the next thing we know, your mugs on the screen at the sandbar at Delray. Who, beach mine? My, my? Talking, talk, I don't oh. know what you must've been. It must've been that fake job you had in Edmonton when your buddy, what's his name? Uh, What's the guy's name in in Edmund that gave you the job? Ken Holland? Nicholson. Nicholson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bob, well, we all, Bob Nicholson. <laughs> we all know Shanny's been leaning on his pals for years and years and years. Oh, so, yeah. Oh. Uh, listen, this was really fun. Um, I, I enjoyed it a lot. And I, I, I know John. Well, now that too. you guys are getting along, it's great. You guys are finally getting along. I'm happy about it. Oh, that. yeah. Right to my mom, mom, poor mom died at 92 and right to her grave. She'd say to me, are you getting along with that radio guy in Toronto? Yeah. Just forget, forget about her mom. And, mom. And, she, and had, she, would, she had a slight case of dementia and she didn't forget <laughs> McCowan. Very few do McLean. <laughs> now, 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 the, now the three of us have a slight case of dementia, so it's okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's a, it was a real treat. After I saw you had Millard Kiprios on, I was a little offended, but no, that's okay. No, you, hey, you made up for it. That's okay. Don't worry about it. One man. You're, and, and by the way, you went solo. You're solo, you know? <laughs> well, those guys don't understand the word entertainment. They're serious, those guys. You know, they're serious broadcasters. You ain't kidding, pal. You ain't kidding. <laughs> Well, we we learned we learned something. We we, we always enjoy the stories, and uh, that that was repeated again today. We we thank you as you know a lot, and we love you, and um, we'll uh, we'll call you again down the road. We won't bug you, but we'll call you down the road. Uh, all the best. Stay healthy, and good luck with hey. the uh, with the golf game. Uh, thanks, guys, and good luck with the show. You do a great job. Thanks, Doug McLean. We'll wrap Get it up room, after these guys. messages. <laughs> And uh, we're back. It's McCown. It's a Shannon. Thanks to Doug McLean for being with us. That was fun. He, uh, uh, when we he looks happy. A, he does. And we didn't get into a brawl, which is always good. So now why were, why did you guys fight? I'm what not going to talk about that. Why not? It was a private matter. Well, it was very public. Well, the, the fight was public, but the reason for the fight was quite private. I don't even remember if we discussed the reason. I, I am sitting. I am sitting in my backyard, uh, it, listening to two of my friends, McLean, or and as he would have called you at that point in his career, McGowan, McGowan, yeah, hey, McGowan. Well, you know McGowan, and um, I mean the, we, we, you could hear the vitriol uh, on my uh, on my AM radio. You could hear it on the. It was it was awful. I was I was really I was you know I was worried about both of you. Well, I will tell you this much that uh, in the in the last while we've talked a little bit about you yeah. know the twinkle in the eye and don't take it all that seriously. That was serious. I was going to say there was no there. I there know no both fooling of you around well there. enough. I know both of you well enough. I was and I was I was listening on radio, so I couldn't see twinkles on any eyes. That no. was serious, baby. That well, was and, serious. And I was the one. I was the one who was pissed. I was pissed at him, what? and then he responded. As you won't tell point. us why? Uh, no, I don't think it's necessary. I, you know, I got, I like him. I've always liked him. Uh, he did something that I thought was ethically improper. Okay. And it pissed me off no end. And I don't, and we haven't <laughs> talked about it since. I have no idea what he, if I, if we talked about it now, I don't know whether, what he'd say, whether he'd apologize, say he made the wrong decision or what I probably not. Because he's stubborn as shit. So. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> but I tell you what, when when you say that Doug wouldn't remember, oh, we we just went through forty minutes, and he gave us trade by trade by trade of, of what he made and who he got for him. He doesn't forget stuff like that. He, he doesn't. Uh, he, he became and he became over the last. I knew I knew Doug when he was when he was an assistant coach in Detroit. And over the last 20 years, Doug and I have become great friends. He, I, I just, I, I really, I enjoyed working with him. Uh, I loved his ability to entertain. He, he really was a, uh, he was built for television. In so many ways, he was built for television. Well, you know who got him into this racket? You did. Yeah. He was a and guest I, a, few, a few times. And uh, he did a talk show in Columbus once a week or something. Yeah. And before that, though, before that, when he got, I, we talked about it briefly, when he got fired in Florida, uh, two days after he got fired, I phoned him uh, and I was running hockey night at the time. And he did two Saturday nights for us in Montreal with Dick Irvin uh, in the booth. So 1997. Well, so. I made a big push to get him to, uh, to the fan. And um, it was a, I think it was a great move. Oh, yeah. for, it was good. For both, both for Rogers and for Doug himself. Yeah. In any event, uh, congrats to the Blue Jays who are off to a quick start. Congrats to the Raptors who bounced back. Got a big win in Philadelphia the other night. Big win. Big win in Philly. As they try and uh, hunt down Cleveland uh, for uh, sixth place in the Eastern Conference at an automatic. And tomorrow tomorrow we're going to break down. We're going to break down trade by trade, draft pick by draft pick. It'll be tremendously. I, I know you're looking forward to it. Oh no! I, I'll be I'll be uh, absent tomorrow. I'll I'll come on and introduce you you three numbskulls, and then I'll leave. I'll just walk off, and you the guys can have fifty one are... minutes to discuss all this nonsensical shit that's going to go that has gone on or is going to go on. Jaffe and so, Tank tomorrow. Have a nice day. <laughs> uh, that that's it for us. We'll uh, catch you tomorrow, or at least John will. Until then, goodbye, everyone.